Welcome to the New Books Network. Stanley Kubrick asked Johanna to play in his next movie. I mean, he saw the film. He, he was, I must say that to my own pleasure. He's the biggest fan. He was the biggest fan of uh, Spoilers. He saw it, I think, 10 times and called me when I was working in Los Angeles, telling me about, and we discussed the film shot by shot and, and, and everything. And I remember that he said, you know, it's the most terrifying film I've ever seen in my life. And I said, but have you seen The Shining? And he said, oh, oh that's just child's play compared. I mean, that's not frightening at all compared to your movie. back to 15 Minute Film Fanatics. You probably know how the podcast works by now. This week we're doing a very special episode, a follow-up to a previous episode. What do we got, Dan? Today we're doing The Vanishing. We're doing this as a follow-up to Rope, because Rope, of course, begins with a guy being put into a box, and The Vanishing ends with a guy being put into a box. We'll get to that. Uh, this movie's from 1988, directed by Georges Louzet, uh, who also directed the English language version in America, I believe, five years later in 1993. Um, but we're doing the original version. Uh, Dan, I texted you out of the blue in all capital letters with the title of the movie uh, and all caps that said, do not read anything about this movie. And then you said back what? I said, yeah, that's pretty funny. I agree because Mike's like, you have to watch The Vanishing on Criterion. Do not read anything about it. And I laughed at myself because about a year ago, I said to Mike, you have to see The Vanishing. Do not read anything about it. But it was great that Mike forgot the recommendation, but I was so glad he went and saw it. And if you like The Vanishing, and it's hard not to because it's so well done, that's all you want when you recommend it to somebody. You don't want anybody to know anything about it because the movie is so audacious and every 10 minutes it doubles down and every 10 minutes it gets worse where when it's over, if someone said to you, what's it about? It's really, it, the answer is just watch it, just hit play, don't read about it. Because really when people want information about movies, they're trying to make a decision, should I invest my time in this or no? But we we, we outsource this decision to one another, but I forgot. Yeah, but the, of course, the best way to recommend a movie is this movie is so good that the less you know about it, the better. Is that your overall take or what else the, you got? No, no, my overall take, like we like to do a part one is, well, let's talk about what's great about this movie. This movie has this very simple emotion at its core, right? It's that feeling, you know, when you go to a parking lot and you can't find your car and you're like, I'll find it eventually. And then you start to walk up and down the rows and then you're like, well, it's got to be here. And then you start to think in the back of your head, someone stole my car. Why would someone want to steal my car? There's way nicer cars here. And then you start walking up and down the other rows and you're like, wait a minute. This happens when you have kids. You're with your kid in the in the store and all of a sudden you turn around to your right and your your daughter's not there. And you're like, what, what happened? She's right there on your left. Or she's like three, three, sentence, three steps behind you. So it takes that moment of panic where you're already in a nanosecond envisioning terrible, terrible scenarios and says, okay, what if I can make you feel that way for about an hour and 45 minutes? And it totally works. Yeah, and I, I like what you said about this movie doubling down on itself uh, every 10 minutes because it, it's like a collage of different images and different times that are all threaded together by an incident, but it's all absolutely comprehensible. You never see something and go, huh, what is that? 
No, you understand exactly what it is, but all without the, it, it's the opposite of a show off director. It's like opposite Hitchcock. There's no showing off here at all. It's all done with an absolute subtlety and without rewarding you as the viewer for knowing what's going on. It's just, it's just threaded together so that you just see different images. You understand what they mean. And then you get to the end of the movie and you're like, what happened? What happened? You know who else it's the opposite of? This is the opposite of a Christopher Nolan movie because when he's playing with time and Tenet, which we like, and Dunkirk and Interstellar, when he plays with time, he wants you to know it. And, and his fingerprints are all over the movie. But this one, yeah, you're right. When you start to find out, for example, like why the one can was missing and why the beer can is smashed or what happens, you know, when he finds the coins buried by the tree and all these little things that suggest the blind fate that led her to be in the wrong spot at the wrong time at that gas station and the time starts like when you find out like why he's act, uh, making his family scream when they see the spiders and then you realize oh he's making them scream to see if he can if the victim can be heard from farther away like you're right it all happens so well and organically without you knowing that you're being fed information in these bits so that every time you get a little glimpse of like oh that's why he did it oh that's how he got the idea to put his arm in the cast like it's so it's so well done and it seems so fast it's one of those movies you turn on and then it's over like the, the second you press play well i mean christopher nolan often accompanies you know playing with time with literally a sound effect you know which which varies from from movie right. to movie right. but i think the the ultimate mechanic of this movie is by the time you find out what happened or why this particular thing happened it will be too late it's and you will not ca- and you will not care and that's that's ultimately that's where this movie leads us in fact is that by the time he finds out it's too late and you can't care in the same way and it's ultimately what's also great about it. You said before about characters you you kind of like empathize with, which are so like disturbing. So Rex is the hero, right? He's supposed to be the king, and you certainly are on his side. Like what you you totally feel for this guy. And this, I mean, all of Raymond's plans are based on basic facts of human psychology. He just knows, and he's trying to figure out how different people will react. Uh, under the same circumstances and what's beautiful about this movie is that that this director and this screenwriter really know that when i present you as a viewer with an image you will figure it out and you will assimilate it into a broader narrative and you will do that whether or not you approve of what's going on on screen there's just something about you that takes information and passes it through yourself and puts it in the little thread where it belongs. And then after you've done that, you go, ugh, that's horrible. But it's but it's too late. And then they give you another piece of information and you've already done it. And you're like, ah, that's worse. But there's no end to how long you will do that until this movie's over. And that's how Raymond catches him in the end. Yes, because you get that little moment of pleasure where you're like, oh, that's why he's a chemistry teacher. Oh, or that, you know, that, that, that's why, um, that's why he was looking at the photo album. That's why he tells a story about jumping from the balcony. You're right. You, you get happy that you've, you've kind of caught up with Raymond, which is a terrible thing to feel. No. Cause at the, be- well, at the beginning, it's like a game of charades, right? Cause he's, a- cause he's alone and he's not, he's not speaking out loud and he's not explaining. So you're like, okay, he's in a room. Okay. He's got a cloth. Okay. He's got a watch. That doesn't make any sense. Okay. He's got what is that chloroform? Right. And then, and then you, you figured it out and you're like, Hey, I got it. And then you go, Oh, Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's horrible. Why am I, why am I watching this? I shouldn't be watching this, but you're already on to the next scene and the next scene and the next. He's unbelievable. I mean, Joseph Cotton in shadow of a doubt would watch this and think the killer was a bit much. <laughs> Okay, welcome back. So, of course, in part two, we always talk about our uh, key scenes. Dan, what what's your key scene? 
There's so many, and there's so many things you could point to in this film because it's so so perfectly assembled. You could literally stop the movie at any point and just say, that's a great scene. Um, the scene that gave me the most ironic pleasure is when you find out he's a chemistry professor and how he gives his exams by timing them. And when he calls time, he just pulls it out of your hand because he's obsessed with keeping records and the clock. And you're like, oh, okay, it's a perfect character thing. But the thematic moment for me is when his daughter and his wife both ask if he has a mistress. So he's got this house in the country. They both have. Now, what's interesting is that, yeah, he does. He does have a mistress, but he doesn't. Right. What he has is worse. Remember his daughter's volleyball coach. Um, he's asking for how to get to the pharmacy. And she says, oh, you're looking for women near the drugstore. You know, and she thinks he's out there looking for, for you know, action, but it's much, he's much more frightening and from a much more different place than that. For him, I think the kidnapping plan, you know, is like an affair. It's just like an affair, right? It's sexualized and he goes through this whole ritual of trying to seduce a woman, right? He, 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 first of all, he finds a nice place. They do the screen test, right? He rehearses his lines about the trailer. How about that when he's practicing his lines about how to say, you know, can you help me with this trailer? Um, he fixes his appearance. He says, I had to look weaker though. He doesn't try to look stronger. He says, I had to look weaker, right? He rehearses how to lock the car door. When he's doing that thing about how to lock the car door, that's like that's like um, being in ninth grade and trying to figure out how you're going to put your arm around a girl in the movie theater or something. It's so horrifying. And then remember when the first girl gets in there, and he's about to do it. Remember what happens? He can't perform, right? I mean, he can't perform and he runs out of the car and, and that's it. And then, of course, the, the quote unquote sex act is when he chloroforms her. That's the climax of everything. And of course, it's just like rope. We talked about that in rope, right? It's just like that. And remember, Rex says to him, did you rape her? Because he can like kind of understand that, but Raymond's like he he isn't he isn't raped her at all. That it's he's kind of his his level of evil is so beyond that. He thinks he's above that actually. He thinks he's above these kind of animalistic urges to rape her, and I think that's what's so terrifying about him is that he it's it's a complete sexualization of this murder, and you you can't stop you can't take your eyes away. But it's also done in a way that's so clean, you know. It's not like this is like a PG rated film. But it's it's done in such a chilling way. Yeah, you could 100% get away with just having this movie on the television. And I think I think that what an American screenwriter or director would be tempted to do is to give you this character so that then they could play with this character. And what this movie does is force you to piece it together as it, because that's what you have to that's what you have to do with him, right? For like right. both formally and actually. I don't understand you. So I have to, I have to piece you together because he is in a way, he is in a way too complex. He's, he's dominated our conversation of this movie so far. I mean, he's my moment is also when, uh, you know, when his daughter gives him the photo album and he opens it and he sees the picture of himself in a cast, which reminds him of that, that time as a kid, when he, he buffed up against a societal norm. And then he said, well, what if I what if I just stepped over the line? Right. And he could deal with the pain and he could deal with the trauma. Remember, he also jumps in the river to save that little girl. Right. That's he right. jumps off That's jumps right. off the bridge for the same reason. And so I, I think you're I think you're right. There's more there's more going on than simple, strange motivations um, that that would at least be comprehensible because other villains have been comprehensible. Right. Because what the reason the reason you text your kids at night 
you know, or you, you know, you, you text people you care about to make sure that they got home is because there are motivations out there that you can understand that you're, that you're afraid of. But what this movie shows you is that there's things out there that are far beyond what you could understand because you yourself are not, you're not even sick enough to tangle or form yourself into what they, into what they would be. They are literally beyond you. And that's, what's ultimately utterly terrifying about this movie. It's like your favorite line in Silence of the Lambs when they say to Jodie Foster, like, is he a, is he a psychopath? Is he a sociopath? And you remember what Jodie Foster says about Hannibal Lecter? She says, there's no word for what he is. Isn't that true? Like, isn't that Raymond? Like, there's no, like that he does all this, of course, but talk about what Hannah Arendt called the banality of evil. He's there with his family, right? He's, you know, he's got this job as a professor. He's got, you know, he's puts on his little glasses and stuff like that's, of course, what makes him so chilling. And that's what Rex finds out. That's what that's ultimately what what he finds out at the end is how far down that rabbit hole goes, but he's in it. So welcome back. In part three, we always talk about the title of the ending. But before we get to that, before we get to that, I want to I want to push on something you said earlier about about Raymond. And you said he's dominated our conversation. And certainly that, you know, the killers in a lot of movies dominate our conversations. You know, we think about seven, right? How much do we love the movie seven? Uh, we do love that movie. We do love the movie. We've done an episode and it's great, right? But, you know, Kevin Spacey, as outrageous as John Doe is in that movie, as as wild as he is, that's still kind of like you said before, you text people because we can comprehend evil. Like you can still comprehend Kevin Spacey in that movie, right? Because he's got an ax to grind. We're told that serial killers have some kind of key. And once you crack the code, then you could find out his whole thing is the world is going to Sodom and Gomorrah. So I'm going to do these terrible things to kind of like, proclaim that to the world he he has distorted motivations but they're but there's some kind of motivation and i think ultimately that's supposed to make you feel better right. in other you words understand the, it. the the twist the twist of the movie uh right seven this this other movie is that you can understand the killer a little bit so there's so there's got to be a formal or actual plot twist right that's the gimmick the gimmick of this movie is that you do not understand Raymond at the moment when you think that you've gotten the closest to understanding him, you find out how and why he likes to kill people and that it's only really for the sake of you're not supposed to. It's not anything that he just wants to do to somebody. It's that society doesn't allow it. Like society says, don't jump off your balcony. Society says when you're with your kids, don't jump into a dangerous situation and endanger yourself. He does that anyway, right? It says... Um, don't dress up and try to uh, kidnap people's wives. So he does that, right? It says, right. It says even what's in the killer handbook, right? Is you don't confront the person who's on to you, right? And then, and give them your name and your passport to hold and whatever, right? His thing is he's just got to do whatever it is. He just does the opposite. And that's what's scary because A, it means society's rules actually mean something because to do the opposite is utter unimaginable, chaotic wasteland and be what like what would the brain of somebody who just has to do the opposite be so raymond only wanted to he only planned on killing one person that was the whole thing and then of course rex enters the thing so why does raymond then get closer and closer and closer right this because he got sense. called out directly he got called out directly right now but, but, yeah. but he didn't have to though he could have just vanished and rex would have never found out so so like kevin spacey's screaming detective and like we said before in rope like brandon and rope there's also something about raymond that he's a show-off or that he wants someone to acknowledge what he's done because he can't tell anybody and if you're that smart and you're that 
aloof from other people. There's something in you that makes makes other you want to be acknowledged in some way. I I think also what he what he wants is to be asked the questions about what what happened to her yeah. because he says, Ugh. and also he 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 proves to be he proves to be not unfunny in his own way. They they do actually manage to get on right. What, yes, which what, is what so strange. He is presented. He's presented Raimondas with with unmanageable situations, and he says no. the The basics, the basics of like metric keeping and just being organized and being strong-willed can conquer unconquerable situations. And on the one hand, it's scary because you must agree with him. And on the other hand, it's like, well, some situations are unconquerable because good is supposed to win and life is supposed to have meaning. That's why when Rex starts to beat him up, he just sits there and takes it. And he's like, okay, are you I'm going to walk over there and you got to stop me or I'm not, I'm not coming back. Because I already thought of this. And in fact, you probably didn't even take up the full allotted time that I had allowed you to beat up on me. So, right. Okay. I, I I had scheduled for a minute and a half and you could only punch for a minute. So are you ready for the next thing? So let's talk about the ending and then we'll talk about the title. He presents him with the thermos, right? And he's going to drink it. He's not going to drink it. What's in here? You have to drink that, right? And eventually he says, I drank it for her. Now, that reminded me very much of a moment in a movie we've done recently that we both like where somebody has presented the option to eat something or take a pill if you want to know the truth. The Matrix? Exactly. It's just like The Matrix, right? Like, so again... In the Matrix, he's, Keanu Reeves is presented with this choice, right? You could either take this pill and learn the truth or not and just be happy. But in both cases, like the truth is terrible, right? You're supposed to get some kind of satisfaction from knowing it, but to learn the truth in the Matrix is terrible. It's funny how we always assume that the truth has to be worse, right? We say, well, the truth hurts. You got to wake up to reality. So I think it's interesting that like, how far will you go? to get this knowledge because to really understand something about the world or about your situation in it, there's going to be a cost to it. Well, I, I think also there is an implication that he was the second victim the whole time because the, the, he was dead from the second that something happened to her. Uh, and, and honestly that, right. That is in a way that is the meaning of love, right. Which is that if what, whatever's done, like they're, they're quantum entangled, you know what I mean? If she's yeah. gone, he's gone. There's no possibility that his, you know, that his heart is going to be fine if, if there's something wrong. And in fact, you're presented with like the girl's fine, their apartment's fine, all their stuff is fine. She's in fact much more okay with this um, than any of us as, as viewers would be, you know what I mean? She, she's actually got like a decent lead on the situation, but there's no possibility of happiness without the truth because that that's that's the meaning that they share between the two of them. So he he was already dead. So he goes into the box. Of course, we find out that the box is right there. They're eating over it, you know, like in rope. You know, they're eating over David here. They have their table set outside. He glances over to the bushes, and we we're, we're led to believe that's where they're buried. And again, there's that element of like it's just like Brandon, right? You think about how much Raymond is like Brandon and Philip and Rope, right? That we're gonna we're gonna put this right in plain sight, and only I'm gonna know the secret that these people are right under me, right? He could have buried them somewhere else. He could have chopped them up like in Fargo or something, but they're right there. And there's something I think so sinister about that, and so controlling. And that's of course what Rex understands at the end when he wakes up in that box. That's that's ultimately what he understands is that a I'm gonna die, and b this is what happened to her, and that's what's so so bone crushing about it it's also what what raymond is about because you think well i know evil decently well 
I would certainly know it if I saw it. Right. <laughs> right. And, and so, so you think, and, and so that, right. That scene out of sequence does not mean anything, right? If that scene was at the beginning of the movie, you would think, ah, this is a movie, right? does one of his kids disappear or something like, is that who disappears? Right. Because you, you can't recognize it. Even if you see it, you don't know it that well. You probably don't even know yourself that well until you come, you know, in extremis. And then again, it's like, you could find out but it would be too late and you wouldn't care. And if you want to find out, if you want to drink that thermos, that's the same thing as sticking out through the end of the movie because we're supposed to find that this is not how this movie's supposed to end, right? We know how this movie's supposed to end, right? How's this movie supposed to end? Someone's supposed to jump in to save him and uh, she escaped the whole time and yes. then they get married. Exactly, right? That's exactly. It does not end with, no, she was really dead the whole time and you're going to die in the same horrible way and then the credits roll. And what, but what do people always say? They're like, oh, what? He was a great father. Like he's a, he's like a scout. Here's a scout leader. You know, his apartment was so clean. What do you make of the title of the novel? Because of course, at the end, we, yes. we get the egg. So let's talk about that. This was based upon a novel called The Golden Egg. Yes, which that, that's the perfect title. This movie should have been called The Golden Egg. I I just call it The Golden Egg because I'm so upset that it's not called The Golden Egg that I've retitled it in my head. But don't you see now that at the end, when you see the golden eggs at the end and she had the dream and you see them in the newspaper article and stuff like that, that for me, that that didn't really do anything. I think, you know, I think it was a movie dream. Like, uh, like, you know, I have this thing of it's dreams and movies and an art, like, you know, it, it was a little, don't you think that was a little too much? That was a little too cute in a movie that didn't need it at all. No, I don't think so. I think she sees the, she has this fear that they're in love with each other, but they're going to pass each other right. some way. Right. Like coming one's coming out of one end of the tunnel, the other's coming out of the other end of the tunnel. So, right. So what what's her actual fear, her actual the fear that's being dramatized is we love each other. But but that doesn't necessarily mean that this is going to work. There's a thousand reasons, including situational reasons that this won't work. And of course, she 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 needn't be afraid because he does actually love her so much that anything that happens to her happens to him automatically because they're linked. So, right. Uh, th this is just like the classic Sherelle's question. Like, will you still love me tomorrow? He will, he will still love you tomorrow, but by the time you find out it will be too late and you won't care and you won't know it. And they are together at the end. Thanks for listening, everybody. We hope you've enjoyed our conversation about The Vanishing. It's a companion to Rope. You could follow us on Twitter at 15MINFILM. You can also follow us where, Mike? Letterboxed. Letterboxed. Let us know what to watch next. If you have any other ideas about movies that go well together, we'll also take two requests at once. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time. Bye.